الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وما أتاكم الرسول فخذوه وما نهاكم أنه فانتهوا واتقوا الله إن الله شديد العقاب صدق الله العلي العظيم my dear respected most honorable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First of all, we humbly begin by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this unique opportunity to congregate in His house, to worship Him, to glorify Him, to send salutations upon His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we pray that Allah Azza wa Jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future. Now, we're now at a sort of a precarious time, uh, that sensitive time that we have uh, leading up to the month of Ramadan. And as the, we've seen the months turn into weeks, and now we've, we're seeing the weeks turn into days as we approach this beloved, blessed occasion. And it's imperative that we not only understand the magnificence of the month of Ramadan, of this occasion that is to come, but also to understand what significance it should have in our tradition and what impact it should have upon our lives. The significance is clear. The Prophet ﷺ talks about the month of Ramadan. Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about the month of Ramadan in the, uh, in, in the Quran. Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Quran. It is the month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed. What's the purpose of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioning that? Just simple study of tarikh, simple study of history would tell us or inform us that the month of the Quran was revealed in the month of Ramadan, but why did Allah have to specifically mention it? That it is the month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed. So to make us understand the significance and the importance of this month, that your holy book, the one from which you seek guidance, and the one from which you seek help, and the one with which you seek to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in proximity, understand that this virtuous book, this beloved holy book, was revealed in this month. It was given to you in this month. So celebrate this month. Honor this month. Don't let this month go to waste. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is informing us that this month is extremely important. It's of great significance for each and every one of us to understand and to appreciate. When we look at how the Prophet sallallahu he not only spoke about Ramadan, not only did he talk about the fasting and the rewards of the fasting and inform us of the many great actions that we can do, we can just look at his simple, his, his life himself and how he approached Ramadan. The companions would say, six months prior to this month, half a year prior to, the, to this month, we would endeavor, we would try really hard and we would pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, just grant us life. 
Grant us life so that we may be able to experience the month of Ramadan again. And when the month of Ramadan would come, you could understand the mentality of these individuals, right? If you've been planning for something for six months, half a year, when that day finally arrives, you're going to be in a good state of mind. Physically, you're going to be prepared. Mentally, you're going to be prepared. Spiritually, you're going to be prepared when this month finally arrives. Everything is going to be there for you. Everything is going to be perfect for you. You're not going to allow a single second of the month go, go, go to waste. You're, you're going to take extract as much of the barakah, of the blessings of the month, as much as you possibly can. Because you've been anticipating its arrival for half a year. You prepared yourself for this moment. And when the month of Ramadan would arrive, they would do, do everything that is necessary for them to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when it would pass, there'd be a sense of sadness. Because you prepared for something for so long. And then, as, as always, time is unrelenting, isn't it? It passes by so quickly and you, then you think to yourself, well, surely I must have wasted it if it passed by so quickly. And maybe I didn't do enough. Maybe I should have done more. And there's that tinge of sadness there, of grief at the, at the passing, at the ending of the month. And then you're praying. They would pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the next half of the year. Begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, oh Allah, accept all of the good deeds that we did. Everything that good that was for your sake, oh Allah, accept it. So what, what we see in the lives of the Sahaba, the lives of the companions, is something special. We see that they're whole year revolved around this one month. Everything was about the month of Ramadan. They prepared everything for this month. They begged Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once a month had passed, Oh Allah, accept all of the good deeds that we've done in this month. So now, that's our role model. That's our model for us. How we should see and how we should view this month. We know of its significance. We know of its importance. That's clear. The Quran and Sunnah are clear on its importance. But what about the lives of the companions? What about the Prophet ﷺ? How did these individuals approach this month? And we've got a fantastic model for there, there for us to follow. But yet, we don't heed the advice of the Prophet. We're lazy. When it comes to this month, our preparations are not the same as their preparations. You see, if you're going on a journey, you're taking a journey from here uh, to, to whatever country you, you're from or, or, or you wish to travel to, you know the destination. First of all, what do you do? You prepare yourself, right? You, 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 uh, you, you realize this is the destination that I'm going, so what do you do? You go to the travel agents, you go online, you book your tickets. You can't just end up on the day and say, I'm going there, put me on that plane. You have to book the tickets in advance. Once you've booked the tickets and you know who's going with you, that's when the preparation starts, right? Okay, now, look, that destination, what's the climate like there? How long am I staying there? Because depending on how long I'm staying there, that's how long I need to prepare for. I need to ensure if I'm staying there for a month, I need to have a month worth, worth of supplies. If I'm going to stay there for a month, and I'm just taking the clothes that I'm wearing on my back. There's going to be problems because I'm going to need to buy and purchase new clothes. I mean, where am I going to stay? I have my home here. 
Where am I going to stay there? Do I need to book hotels? All of that preparation, then for your children, then packing. Not only do you prepare for your destination, but you prepare for where you are now. You think, I'm not going to be here for a month. What does that mean? I'm not going to go to work for a month. I need to give my notice in. I'm taking my annual leave. I need to prepare for, for all of the eventualities that are going to take place in my absence. What if somebody needs to contact me? How are they going to contact me then? You prepare all of those things. Your preparation is all there. So you prepare yourself uh, uh, physically in terms of what you're going to take, what you're going to bring, the eventualities, everything that's going to be missed here. Then you prepare, okay, if I'm going to that climate, me and my children, me and my family, what jabs do we need to take? I'm not talking about punching jabs, the flu jabs, this jab, the travel jabs that you need, the injections that you need. All of that preparation goes in. Then you start preparing yourself mentally for that journey. You look forward to it. You think, you, you plan ahead. Because as Muslims, that's what we should always, as human beings, that's what we should always endeavor to do. Plan ahead. All of that planning goes into this journey. And then you enjoy your time there and you come back and all is back to normal again. But in, when we approach the month of Ramadan, that's exactly the same way we need to plan it. We need to see it as a journey we're taking. Instead of a physical journey, this is more of a spiritual journey that we're undertaking. And on the spiritual journey, we too have baggage. On the spiritual journey, we too need to make preparations. Most of the time, we seem to think that when the month of Ramadan arrives, we need to make a few changes here and there. What are those changes? Okay, well, clearly there's more food consumption in the month of Ramadan. This is, this is one of the, um, uh, the worst things about the month um, that I see. Uh, one of these new innovations that we've, we've, we've come up with. That in the month of Ramadan, which is supposed to be about curtailing what you eat and curtailing what you consume, we tend to consume a lot more in this month. So it's about making those preparations. Oh, well, it's, it's the fast in two days' time or in three days' time. How have we prepared? Oh, well, I need to make sure that we have enough food for iftar and we have enough food for suhoor. So we try to make those adjustments in terms of that which we're going to consume. Forgetting about the importance. The importance is not about what you're going to consume. It's how you're going to consume it. And it's going to be your reactions after what you've consumed it. So the importance of the month of Ramadan completely goes out of the window when we focus on those things that, are, that have absolutely no significance whatsoever. The Prophet ﷺ, the only time he spoke about food in fasting or during fast was the importance of taking the suhoor meal, eating something in the morning. There's barakah in that. That's what he spoke about. He didn't say, eat this much. Or make sure you eat these types of foods. No. He just said, take the suhoor meal. There's blessings in it. When he spoke about iftar, and you open up the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ, you know what you'll find? He didn't talk about your samosas and your pakoras and your kebabs. He didn't talk about all of the different varieties of foods that you're going to have and to make sure that you consume all of the varieties as much as possible. No. He, he spoke about thinking and caring and preferring others over yourself. The only time he spoke about iftar was to inform us that when you feed somebody else, the fast of that person will be accounted in your favor. When he spoke about the iftar, he spoke about feeding others and taking care of others, making sure others don't go hungry, because that's the 
essence of Ramadan. It's supposed to bring about these human feelings and emotions in you. Care for others, compassion for others, giving preference to others over yourselves, controlling your nafs. See, those things are things that we don't consider anymore. This Ramadan is not just a physical exercise. I remember I was speaking to somebody before Ramadan last year. And I said to that person, up until the month of Ramadan, this individual, he was a family member, so I could say this. He was a family member, so I could say this. So I said to him, you know, mashallah, I hadn't seen him for a couple of months up until leading up to the last Ramadan. And I, I, and I saw him and I said, mashallah, you know, you've put on, put on a few pounds, you know, you've, you've, you've gained a bit. And I could say it to him because he was a family member and he understood um, I was, you know, having a joke and a laugh with him. He could have a joke and a laugh with me. And he says, you know what? Yeah, I have. You're right. You know, I've, I've, I've piled it on last couple of months. But you know what? The good thing is, I said, what? He said, Ramadan is just around the corner, which means it gives me an opportunity to cut down that fat and to get back to the weight that I was before. And I says, it got me thinking that Subhanallah, our, our priorities have changed so much that it was fine, it was good that he was thinking about that. But that should not have been at the forefront of our minds. We should not be thinking about the physical effects because that's what we tend to do, don't we? Before Ramadan begins, we're all scared, afraid. <gasps> 15 hours, 14 hours. We start counting the hours and the minutes. 16 hours. How are we going to do it? No food, no water. You know, it's going to be impossible with the searing heat. You know, we never talk about the heat in the UK. You know, this is... <laughs> we never talk about the heat in the UK because it's never that extreme, right? But suddenly it's so hot. And we feel even more hot because we're fasting. So we're talking and complaining about that. And you know what that does? You know, yes, it's understandable that children and, 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 and some of our people who, who find it difficult can complain about that. That's understandable. But what it does for the rest of us is, those of us who are capable to fast and really don't see this as much of a problem, it draws our attention away from those things that are more important. So the time that you spend preparing for the food that you're going to eat and the hunger that you're going to experience, all of that time spent, it takes time away from those things that you should be doing. Perhaps preparing mentally and and, and, and psychologically, spiritually, by opening up the Quran, by fasting a few days beforehand. You know, the, like I said at the beginning, the greatest example can be taken from the lives of the companions, the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. How did he? He told. He not only told us how to prepare spiritually, he physically taught us how to prepare too. The companions state that we, say the Aisha narrates that we never saw the Prophet ﷺ fast more outside of the month of Ramadan in one month than we saw him fast in the month of Sha'ban. After the month of Ramadan, the month in which he fasted the most, most was Sha'ban. And Sha'ban is the month leading up to Ramadan. Why? You see, that prepares your body too. For us, now, there's people here. We've only got a few days left until the month of Ramadan. Honestly, I'm not going to tell you to put your hands up. Honestly, ask yourselves a question. How many fasts have you made or have you kept since the last Ramadan has ended? 
Ask yourselves that question. Apart from the ones that maybe you might have had to made up, make up during the month. Perhaps you missed a few due to an illness or whatever reason or due to travel and you made up those fasts. In fact, there'll be some people because I've, I've had these questions to me, uh, posed to me, where people have said, this month of Ramadan is here. I had two weeks of uh, fast to make up for last, uh, last Ramadan and I still haven't made them up. What should I do? So there'll be people who missed fast in the last month of Ramadan and still haven't made them up. And it's been a year that's passed in between. Which just goes to show that our, our preparation has been inadequate. We failed in our preparation. But the good thing about this type of failure is that it's never too late. It's never too late. It's not as if Eid is tomorrow and we've wasted the entire month. No. The month of Ramadan is just starting. So we've got an opportunity to make those last minute adjustments and ensure that the time that we have, we utilize it to the, in the best way that we possibly can. Instead of preparing your food, prepare your mental state. How often, and I ask you this, you know, there'll, there'll, there'll be people among us who would have recited the Quran in the month of Ramadan last year. And they endeavor to do so. Spend their time reciting the Quran, whether it's before prayer, after prayer. Since then, how many of us have, have opened up the Quran and recited it for the sake of gaining reward and proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How often? On a few specific nights, maybe here and there? A few specific days here and there? Perhaps a holy day? Perhaps it was a Jum'ah, we had a few moments and we opened up the Quran? These are things that we need to think about and we need to consider. Because that's the example. What example are we setting to our children? <laughs> Subhanallah, you know, in the time of the Prophet, وسلم, the women who were feeding their children, they would actually um, make their children fast along with them, even those that were toddlers. They would train them and prepare them from, from a young age. I'm not telling you to force your children to fast. No. What I'm saying is, put that idea in them. You know, this month. The importance and the significance of it imbue these, these ideas from a young age so they understand the significance because when the month of Ramadan comes, you know the most excited people are children. You have young children, I want to fast, I want to get up in, because they want to get up in the morning. They want to enjoy, you know, when everybody's looking like, you know, they just woke up from an, an apocalypse and they've been asleep for 200 years, right? At Suhoor time. And nobody wants to talk and everybody's tired. Who's the most active? The young children, yes. It's as if, you know, they've just come back from, you know, swimming or, or, or a day of activities. You know, they're, they're so energetic at that moment. So support that enthusiasm. Encourage that enthusiasm. Don't curtail it. Encourage it. Speak more about the month. Tell them about the month. It's important, you know, most of the time we don't, most of the time we don't have enough time. We don't dedicate enough, to, enough time to our families and to those things that matter. Because when, when you're, when, uh, and, and Allah bless us all, but when, when we're towards the end of our lives, you know what we're going to think about? You know the regrets? The Prophet wasallam told us that there's not a man except that he does not regret. We're going to have regrets. It's natural. It's a human emotion. 
And you know the regrets aren't going to be at that time. Ask people who are towards or the end of their lives. And you know what they will say to you? We don't regret the fact that we didn't earn enough money. We don't regret the fact that we didn't perhaps eat enough when we could eat. They don't re regret the fact that they should have enjoyed their lives a little bit more than they had done. No. The regrets that they will have would always pertain to their families. They'll always say, you know what, I regret. I regret that I didn't give up more time for the sake of Allah. I regret that I didn't get time to spend more, I didn't spend more time with my children. Perhaps my children would have turned out better human beings and better Muslims if I had given them that extra five, ten minutes a day. If I had told them stories, if I had spoken to them, if I had taken care of them the way that I should have been. Those are the things that we are going to regret. So it's important now we realize that we're going to regret those things, so let's make those changes now. The Prophet wasallam said that when a man dies, in everything is cut off from him, from him except for three things. As in, your time for doing good deeds is over. Once Malakul Maut comes and the angel takes your soul, that's it. There's no more good deeds that you can do. There's no more bad deeds that you can do. Your account has been settled. You've got your good, you've got your bad, and on the day of judgment is going to be weighed. And then your reckoning is going to come. So it's too late. Then, then everybody has a desire. If only, Ya Allah, give me the opportunity to go back. I won't waste the time again. Give me the opportunity to go back. I'll make sure I do good. But then it's going to be too late. But now we have that opportunity. We, we, we know that's going to happen. That one day we're going, to, we're going to face that ultimate reality, which is death. Each and every one of us is going to do that. The Prophet wasallam said, there's three things that are even going to benefit you after you die. So cultivate those three things now. What are those three things? The Prophet wasallam said, Sadaqatin Jariyah. A continuous charity that you've given is continuing to benefit people. That's going to, as long as it continues to benefit others, it's going to benefit you in the hereafter. It's going to add to your good deeds even though you've done nothing to, to, to attain them. Except sow that seed when you are alive. The second thing, a knowledge that people are going to continue to benefit from. Perhaps you wrote a book. Perhaps you facilitated uh, a study for somebody else. Perhaps you purchase books for somebody else. And that, individual's learn, that individual learns from them and passes on that knowledge to others. Even after you die, that's going to be credited in your favor. And the last thing that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned is perhaps the most important. Or a pious child that prays for you. You leave behind a child that you've invested your time, your effort, your money, your wealth into that child to not only make them uh, knowledgeable, but to make them good and kind and compassionate. And afterwards, after you've passed away, every time that child raises his or her hands to make dua for you, that dua is going to be accepted in your favor. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to add to your good deeds and take away and forgive 
some of the bad. Why? Because you've done something noble. And that nobili the nobility of that deed is continuing to benefit humankind even after you've passed away. So why don't we prepare for those things now? You know, it, our priorities are, 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 are completely not in tune with the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu When the Prophet sallallahu passed away, do you think he left behind great inheritance for his family? His daughter Fatima was alive. Did he leave behind great inheritance for Fatima to ensure? No, I need to make sure that Fatima has enough inheritance after me. No. In fact, even during her life, when Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu ta'ala came to the Prophet sallallahu and spoke about how things were difficult for her, and perhaps she could have a maiden, perhaps she could have somebody to help her, she showed the Prophet sallallahu the blisters on her hand from the work that she was doing. And the Prophet sallallahu this is his one daughter, this is his, uh, his, his piece of flesh. This is the person who perhaps he loved most in the world. And naturally it affected him, whatever affected Fatima affected him, whatever hurt Fatima hurt him. But did the Prophet sallallahu say, yeah, of course my Fatima should live in comfort. Everybody else, come on all of you, help Fatima. Fatima doesn't have to do this. She's a daughter of a prophet. No. The Prophet sallallahu said, Sayyidat Ahmed, Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, Allahu Akbar. The Prophet sallallahu instead taught her du'as that will encourage her to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That will encourage her to seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That will encourage her to remain patient. And his own life, he lived it that way. He didn't live in lavish, lavish luxury that he imparted upon his children, nor did he try to make life difficult for Fatima. No, that's not what the Prophet ﷺ intended. He wanted Fatima to learn her own lessons. Because he understood that the most important thing for this queen, this princess of Jannah, you know, Fatima is among the women of Jannah, the leaders of the women of Jannah. Why? Because she earned that status while she was alive. She didn't just earn that status just because she's the daughter of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. No. She lived that life. And we need to ensure that we do the same for our children. All we think about is, what are our, what are our children going to do after us? We need to make sure we, leave, we have plenty of property, we have plenty of wealth that we're going to leave to them. No, but those things are irrelevant. Those things are not important. What if your child passes away before you? Or your child passes away immediately after you? then that wealth is not going to benefit them. What's going to benefit them? On Yom Al-Qiyamah, their good deeds. And how did you cultivate and nurture those good deeds in them while, they were, while you were alive and while they were young? Now's the opportunity. It's the month of Ramadan, the most important month, the most blessed month. It's imperative that we impart that wisdom upon our children. We impart that knowledge upon our children. Get them to understand how important this is. Teach them more about the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Cultivate those good actions and those good characteristics in this month. The Prophet would help people and feed people, encourage feeding people. Encourage them to help their, 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 their fellow colleagues at school. Encourage them to, to help their family at home. Help their mother at home. Help their, brother, their brothers and sisters, their siblings at home. Encourage that from a young age. Why? Because those that cultivation that you do now is going to benefit them when they get older too. Those characteristics that you imbue within them now at a young age, 
They're going to shine brightly as they get older. And then in Yawbul Qiyamah, clearly. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me a new tawfiq and the ability to act upon the noble teachings of the Qur'an and the noble message from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the ability to, uh, and, and the capability to fast in the month of Ramadan and to observe the importance of this month, to understand the importance of this month. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, help us encourage one another. We're people who should try to encourage one another towards patience and encourage one another towards the truth. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to do that.